0: And for a scripture reading this morning, we'll turn once again to the gospel according to Luke, Luke 22, and we will read from verses 24 through uh, verse 53. Luke chapter 22 beginning at verse 24. chapter 22 beginning at verse 24 now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest and he said to them the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors but not so among you on the contrary he who is greatest among you Let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both into prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, that the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandal, did you lack anything? So they said, nothing. And then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. As far as our scripture reading... Our focus this morning will be on part of the chapter that we read, Luke 22 and verses 39 through 46, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane. When the disciples began to argue with each other in verse 24 about who would be the greatest, Jesus had to show them that the way of the gospel was the opposite than the way of the world. The world seeks to know who's the best and the strongest but he said this is a path of humility and a path of of service jesus says in verse 27 i am among you as he that serves and the greatest demonstration of that service was in his suffering and in his obedience even unto death as he came to do his father's will and as jesus taught his disciples he Throughout his three years of ministry, he led them by his example. But now Jesus was coming to a place where he alone could go and where he would have to leave his disciples behind. Here in Gethsemane, Christ was faced with the reality of what he had come to do, a work that he alone could accomplish. And so he had taken his disciples as far as they could come And as he enters his garden, he then leaves them behind. And they could only catch glimpses of what he was doing there in the garden. And we can learn today as well about Christ the Savior from what these disciples have recorded for us. And so our theme this morning is Glimpses of the Savior in Gethsemane. And we will see six things. So first... We'll see that Jesus is a steadfast, a steadfast and unwavering Saviour. In verse thirty nine, he says it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And Jesus has had a habit to go find a solitary place to pray and to commune with his Father. Even though Jesus knew that, that Judas would betray him soon, as he even said in verses 21 and 22, but he also knew that this was the way that was determined by his Father in heaven. And so Jesus here, he continued steadfastly in that work. And he mentioned that in, in Luke 9, verse 51, where he said, Now it came to pass when the time had come, for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to jerusalem in the old testament has said he sets his face as a flint as a stone he set it determined to do the will of his father christ knew all the prophecies about him and regarding him that he must suffer that he had to be betrayed that he had to be beaten rejected and die Judas knew that he came here often to pray, and yet Jesus was not going to hide. Instead, Jesus came here to prepare Himself through prayer, to do the work that His Father had sent Him to do. And Jesus would be killed as the Lamb of God for His own people. This had all been determined from eternity as an answer to, and a great solution to the problem of our sin. And so he went there knowing what awaited him. And as he followed his, his disciples faithfully, or as he went, his, his, his disciples followed him faithfully, and yet they did not understand what was happening. But he went steadfastly forward, knowing that the disciples that were following him until today were still so spiritually immature. They were watching and they were learning from Him. But He knew these disciples didn't have that same resolve. They didn't have that resolve to serve as He served. You remember when Jesus sent the disciples into the city, as we considered last week, they, they went to prepare the Passover and they followed His, his calm leading and, and everything went according to plan. But what would have happened if they ran into an angry mob who had wanted to kill them? They did not know of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit yet. But now, even here, there was a sense of calm and of quiet even as that battle was preparing, even as that storm was brewing, and as the forces of darkness were conspiring together against the Christ. Verse 53 says that the hour of darkness was coming. The forces of darkness would come and unleash all their weapons and all their power upon Christ. And so Jesus here, He steadfastly, committed, determinedly enters this garden of Gethsemane. A garden whose name means olive press. That's what it means. And it's a fitting place where He Himself would be pressed down by grief as He faces the coming wrath of God against sin. And so we see here first a Savior, steadfast and unwavering in His work and His purpose to save sinners. But then secondly, we see Christ as the supplicating Savior. When they arrive at the garden, He instructs His disciples in verse 40, the second half, He says, Pray that you may not enter into Temptation. He says, pray that you will not fall into sin when your faith will be tested. Pray for grace when you have to face your enemies soon. Pray that you will not deny your faith is what He is telling us. It's only through prayer that we can be strengthened to walk in this world and against, fight against that battle. Prayer is that spiritual weapon that He has given us. And then Jesus separated Himself to pray. Verse forty-one says, and that he walked further into the garden a distance about as far as he can throw a stone, and it says he was withdrawn from him from them. And this word means literally torn away, pulled away from from the disciples because of the agony that was coming upon him. Mark records in mark 14 he began to be troubled or sore amazed deeply distressed and he said unto them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death and he said stay here and then he went and he fell down on his knees here jesus began to feel the weight of the burden of the sins of his people as they were laid upon him as he was made sin for us and there it was as if as if he collapsed under the weight of that here was a place where even close as disciples could not follow Him. His disciples who had followed Him up to the top of the, Mount of the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw His glory, where they saw all His miracles in the valley, where they went to His resting place, where they saw Him pray, where He taught them to pray. They were with Him everywhere, but here they could not come close to what He had to endure. Here they had to remain at a distance. It's as if Jesus here entered a holy place where no one can stand. An anguish that no one can feel or, or comprehend or bear. A distress of heart that is unimaginable to us. If you've ever experienced the, if the, if you've ever experienced the loss of a close family member, you feel the, the weight and the crushing effect that it has on you. But if, if you have never experienced that, you can never enter into the depth of the suffering of those people with them. And here it's no one can enter into that same depth of suffering that Christ here had to endure because no one has been able to go there. The disciples could maybe see Him off in a distance in the moonlight. Maybe they could hear His anguished prayer, but they could probably not make out His words. They could see His figure there kneeling in the garden. Here we see the supplicating Savior. What would He pray for? Well, verse 42, it says, If it is Your will, Father, take this cup away from Me. And Mark really stresses the, the personal nature of this prayer. He says, Abba, Father... All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Here he's supplicating with his own Father in heaven. His Father whom he had been with since eternity. Who It says he was in the bosom of the Father. His Father against whom he had never sinned. He had never been separated from him. What have I done to deserve this, Father? But he knows he made a covenant in eternity with his Father that covenant of redemption, the covenant of peace, where He has come to take the place of His people. It's as if He's praying, do I really need to take this cup of divine wrath? Do I have to take this punishment? Is there no other way to save sinners? The answer is no, because God's justice must be satisfied. The soul that sins, it must die. The human race that has sinned against its Creator, it must die because they have sinned. They must take the judgment and every one of our sins must be paid for. And there is Isaiah 53 says, the Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. There He was made sin for us. Or as Paul says, made a curse for us. When God imputed all, <clears throat> all the sins of His people to Him. Charged our sins to His account. And that means, children, that the Lord Jesus was taking the blame for all the sins of His people. And He saw that that punishment would come upon Him. And there he collapses under the weight of the burden of that guilt and that sin. Here we see that supplicating Savior. And now the question for us is do we see that it is our sin that needs to be laid on him? That it is our sin that caused him that anguish and that suffering? Oppressing him down and making him stumble under that burden of the sins that we have committed. Is there no other way? And thirdly, we see here that he is a submissive Savior. Verse 42, the second half says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not what I desire, but what You will. Jesus said in John 6 verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. And this is the will of the Father who sent Me, that of all He has given Me, I should lose nothing. And that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him, may have everlasting life. Everyone who sees the Son, everyone who believes on him. Here Jesus is showing that there's no other way for a sinner to be saved, but that our sins must be paid, that God's justice here must be satisfied, that if God leaves one sin unpunished, that he is no longer true nor nor loving. But that but that Jesus has come here to take that punishment and to pay for that sin. Well, Christ, he doesn't hide anything from His Father. He openly confesses His need and He prays if it was possible to remove this. His human nature was in such an anguish at the thought of this punishment and yet fully submissive to the judgment of God. And this shows here the reality of His work. the the reality of the suffering under the anger and justice of God against our sin? That it crushed Him like an olive in the press? Do we realize the burning anger of God's justice against our sin? Has God ever shown us by His Holy Spirit a little of His wrath against our sin. That that sin must be taken away. That that sin must be paid for. Have we then ever prayed with Psalm fifty-one? That my sin is ever before Thee. I have sinned against Thy grace and provoked Thee to Thy face. I confess my judgment just or Thy judgment just. Speechless I Thy. Mercy, trust. Have we ever found ourselves on our knees under the, the weight of that burden before God and have had to confess that our sins, that our sins deserve that judgment, that we are the ones who have sinned against Him? Have we ever felt ourselves and found ourselves speechless before the throne of God with nothing left but only to trust His mercy, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ was there Bearing that weight of sin for His people. That we rightly deserve that judgment. But He willingly took it for sinners. Christ, He saw that full wrath of God. Ready to crush Him. Because of our sin. And Jesus there submitted to it willingly. He submitted it all to God in prayer. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. For this is the only way to remove the sins of his people. This is the only way to deliver his people, to deliver you from the wrath of God eternally against your sin. Here we see the submissive Savior taking the place of his people. But then fourthly, we see the strengthened Savior. In verse 43, it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Here, these verses emphasize that he endured this in his human body and soul. And it shows the depth of his suffering and anguish that even an angel from heaven came to comfort and in some way strengthen him. A divine messenger sent from heaven to strengthen him where no other human could reach him or, or comfort him or to know what he was going through. The very creator of the angels subjected himself and became the object of compassion for the angels whom he had created. And Jesus entered into this place where his closest friends were helpless. He would bear their sin. He would face a judgment because of their sins. Isaiah said he was bruised, crushed for our iniquities. That's why we could not be there. That's why his disciples could not be there. Christ he, he Christ could not sin. He was a sinless one. He hated sin. But now he was he was crushed under the weight of the, that burden of sin. Imagine his tender and almost sensitive heart and mind and conscience and soul having to face this sin and the consequences of it as he faced his Father. Here we see his humility as he's made a little lower than the angels and submitting himself to their ministry. Strengthened, comforted in his humanity. But then we see, fifthly, we see the sincerity of this Savior. Pray. Jesus told his disciples, stay here and pray. But how serious are we when we pray? We seem to give up so soon, don't we? We stop when we're too tired or too busy. Or as soon as the immediate pressure of a circumstance seems to lift. Jesus here was strengthened to continue to pray more earnestly. To be able to endure that wrath of God as it was poured out upon Him. Verse 44 says, And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What was he praying? Remove this cup of wrath? No. He would willingly drink this cup. What would the prayer be from the Son of God here who had fellowship with the Father from eternity? Here in anguish and distress, his human nature recoiled at the thought of what might be coming. He prayed more earnestly and now there there was no answer. He felt a divine wrath coming against himself, against the sin that he himself hated, against the sin that he himself could not commit. What would his prayer be in that hour as that hour of darkness descended upon him? As he knew when those forces of darkness would come and, and be given the power to capture him and to torture him and to crucify him. What would his prayer be when heaven seemed closed to him? When He stood there like a guilty and a condemned sinner, carrying the sins of His people, yes, even carrying some of your sins, to the judge of heaven and earth. Jesus told His disciples in Luke 18, Pray, always pray, and never faint. Here Jesus was praying earnestly and persistently, but He was not relieved from this burden. You can read about the blind beggar who sat beside the road and cried out, and the, the crowd told him to be quiet, but he cried more earnestly, Thou, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And here the Son of David himself is crying out, and he is not heard. He prayed more earnestly as he submitted to take the punishment for his people. And the thought of that gave him such agony that he swept great drops of blood. It's a medical condition called hematidrosis. When under that extreme stress, you begin to bleed out of your pores. He had to bear this cup alone. He had to tread this wine press alone. His own disciple would come and betray him. His own friends, disciples would forsake him and even deny him. Psalm 69 says Reproach has broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, and there was none for comforters, but I found none. Yet we know, as Hebrews 5 says, that he was heard. When he had offered up prayers and supplications and strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. He was heard and that he feared, Hebrews says. In his human nature, Jesus had that real fear caused by that holy wrath of God against him. But ultimately, he was delivered because his sacrifice was sufficient. It was accepted by God. It appeased his wrath, and justice was satisfied. In Acts 2, he says, Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He would be delivered. But here he had to face it. And each one of us will have to face God. To stand before his throne and before his judgment seat. But if we have to stand there on our own, not being saved, not having the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will have a tremendous fear. A fear that Christ saw coming here. A fear that you can never get rid of. You will tremble in agony because then there will be none to deliver you. And then you will want to die, but then you cannot. Then you will cry for mercy, but then there will be none. And that's why now here we can see the sincere and earnest Savior who endured this wrath of God in your place so that you don't have to face it. So that you can stand before God and find favor and forgiveness with Him. That you can find acceptance with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see, sixthly and lastly, a sympathetic Savior. Because in verse 45, when he arose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Mark records it has happened three times. Here the disciples were sleeping because of that emotional sorrow, grief. They saw their master, who had always been so calm and so authoritative in his way. Now he's collapsed on the ground in anguish. They saw him supplicating there with heaven. They saw the sweat and the pain expressed in his body, and they felt so helpless. He had said pray, and likely they had but had fallen asleep because of the exhaustion. They could not persevere in prayer for themselves or for Him. But Jesus was bearing their guilt and their sin. And He said, He came to serve them. I am among you as one who serves. He is that faithful and that merciful high priest who is standing up from His own suffering and anguish It could come and comfort them, as Hebrews 2 says, for in that he himself suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Here is your sympathetic high priest who shows understanding and compassion, who understands your weaknesses, and he deals with them here in mercy. Jesus knew that it was their sin and their guilt That causes anguish. But now he knows that these sins will soon be gone forever. And he encourages him. He had encouraged him in verse 28. And he said, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And he knows your hearts here today, dear believers. He knows if you can say like Peter. Lord, you know that I love you. To whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He knows if you continue with Him through your temptations, whatever whatever you face. Christ knows that He will not lose any of His own people, as He said in John 6. He sees them. He sees them for who they are. He sees them where they come from. And here, his own disciples, he sees our sinful pride. We're in verse 24, they're still fighting about who can be the best. He sees our overconfident hearts. Like in verse 33, like Peter. Peter said, I will never deny thee, Lord. I'm ready to go to prison or to death. I'm a strong Christian. Peter, Christian, Christian, don't be so... Confidence. Peter denied his faith faith, faith in front of a little girl, a little maid. We can't stand in our own strength. Jesus sees our spiritual immaturity. And here, when the disciples mistook force and passion for godly zeal, in verse 50, Peter swings his sword trying to chop off the head of this man, but he slices his ear off instead. Christ sees how we naturally think. We like to think that when we are strong, we are strong. But no, Paul said, when we are weak, then we are strong. We want to fight our rights and freedoms with, with the sword and with force. But Christ has to show us that we Can do nothing without him. Here, these disciples, they fainted from sorrow when they themselves were not even under the weight of that wrath, but they only saw their master enduring it. Jesus knows your heart and where you are, what maturity you are, and he looks upon you with compassion as he did with Peter in verse 61. Here is your sympathetic Savior. Because he knows you, where you've come from, where you are, and where he will take you. And so, in conclusion today, I have one question for you Do you need the Savior to stand there where you cannot? If Christ prayed so earnestly, when He was crushed under the weight of our sin, when all that heaven could reply was was to thrust forth the wrath of, wrath of God against sin, how much more must we now pray now that heaven is open to the cry of sinners, now that Christ said that He ever lives in heaven to intercede for sinners, that God says His ears are open to hear the cry of those who call upon Him, to those who draw near to His throne of grace to seek for help in time of need. Now, in Christ, the wrath of God has been turned away. It has been appeased. His justice has been satisfied. God now can reveal Himself as a loving Father to those who return to Him through this Saviour. Do you need Him? Is He your Savior? And do you see here a little glimpse of what He has done for you? Amen.